And then we made, I think, 1 million revenue in the first year and now in the second again, because half year one was a bit bad. And um, I, I don't do the deals by myself anymore. I have a team of um, nine full-time recruiters and also um, additional team members that are supporting with podcast, marketing, um, administrative stuff and so on. Happy November, everyone. I'm your host, Chris, and you're listening to Nonlinear, the podcast in which we unpack the strategies, hacks, and decisions high-achieving young professionals using 2023 plus to design careers they love. In this episode, I speak with one of my latest friends, Thomas Kohler, whom I got to know through one of the other podcast guests, which you might guess now. And Thomas and I had a very interesting chat about Thomas's companies, how he started them, for instance, PeopleWise or Remove.Tech, a very interesting play in the content space. And uh, Thomas also shared his personal operating system, very similar to um, how Alexei shared things about how he operates. And so I'm super delighted to give you access to this episode. I will probably listen to it a couple of times myself. And um, I would say, let's dive right in. Thomas, uh, very welcome. Super happy to, to have you on the podcast. Hi, Christian. Nice to chat here in this call and thanks for inviting me. Yeah, of course. Man, you're definitely one of the more interesting people I've gotten to know in the last couple of months in Berlin. Um, do you want to give a quick intro, intro to us who you are and what you do? Yes, sure. So I'm Thomas Kohler, I'm originally from Tirol, Austria. So a bit maybe from the area you are, just you're on the German side, I'm on the Austrian side. <laughs> um, so I'm, I would say I was always very active in my childhood already because I, I think I did sports every day. I was out every day. I have a lot of energy. Um, and at some point in my teenage life, I wanted um, something else and started researching um figuring out online what things you could do and trains uh, skills skills you could train yourself um, in terms of um, having an income yeah because I never wanted to just go studying and then wait 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 and jump into any job um, which I don't did not know at that point what I wanted to do anyway but I was always curious so I discovered some things like Back then, affiliate marketing with SEO and traffic and basic Facebook groups and so on still worked. So mm -hmm. it was, I think, in, in 2012, 13, 14, something like that, um, where I finished my military service in Austria. This still was a thing. Um, and I had a lot of time. Um, and there I, I really tested a lot and um, earned some money, which I could then spend on something else. So I, I had quite some independence early on and moved to Sweden, to Stockholm. Um, one way, two suitcases and just wanted to know um, how it is in, uh, to live in a city without knowing somebody, somebody and um, not being on the countryside or in a smaller village, right? Mm -hmm. And everything a bit more international and um, just different Nordic culture. And there, I, I, I think I discovered a lot about myself because I spent a lot of time with myself um, the first time shopping by yourself was also a funny experience. Plus, <laughs> um, also, um, it was it was a funny story. I can dive into it. So, just a regular, um, I would say, 
um, grocery shop, but I did not really know how to do this. So I just went there and bought everything what I knew from home, <laughs> but it was so much <laughs> that I could not carry it. Yeah. And then I, I thought about, okay, um, how do I carry this to my apartment? So I put it all into one shopping cart and just left the shopping cart with my, um, um, and, and went to the uh, U-Bahn. Um, and then the U-Bahn did not, did not, um, proceed. Yeah. And there was some Swedish voice, um, and people looking at me, but nobody really mad or something, mm-hmm. um, until a f- third time after five minutes, a Swedish lady came to me and said, Oh, don't you speak Swedish? Because they say the person with the shopping cart should leave. Otherwise, the, the U-Bahn is not proceeding. <laughs> that was one of the experience. Um, and then um, I, I discovered that Swedish people are quite nice because nobody um, shouted or was angry. If you would do that in Germany or Austria, I would say um, you would know immediately um, that you should leave. <laughs> so mm-hmm, I put definitely. back the shopping cart and then went home with the taxi. So I think that that was some some of the basic stuff in life I, I, I started learning. Right? <laughs> um, plus also, um, it was pre-Airbnb um, and the Swedish people were quite sophisticated. They rented out their apartments because um, they traveled or they are quite international in my opinion and they traveled a lot. And I found through a Swedish website, which was actually something like Airbnb, but just as a website for Swede, uh, Swedes, um, for a, of a journalist, I uh, rented an apartment and she wrote about tech stuff and business stuff. And I, I found several books about startups, the technology scene in her shelf and um, read a lot. And mm. I really found it appealing to say the only thing you need is kind of an idea, a vision and um, finding some kind of problem you solve and you can build a business from it with $100 or less just starting up, um, um, from scratch, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, I moved to Vienna because I knew some people there and discovered um, or dived into the startup scene. I, I did not really look for it. It, it somehow found me and I found it. Um, and then I started my first role and job as a generalist. You could call it founders associate, entrepreneur in residence, whatever you want to call it at a fintech startup back then. Um, something what Square or now Block is doing um, and operating system for small businesses, basically. Um, but starting off with a point of sale solution, then trying to go into the payment space and also into the um, banking space and also in the lending space. I think it was first times founders, everybody quite junior and doing stuff for the first time, but um, bold idea, bold vision. And we just um, were very pragmatic and get going. And this is how I, I started um, with recruiting because all the problems we had and I was really close with the founding team. Um, we tried to solve by me finding people that did certain stuff already, what we needed to solve. Um, that was intuitively what I did. And then we also had an, uh, other team members who then also tested the stuff internally, what we did, discovered. But I was more a bit the speedboat and trying to find people, build momentum, get information, um, and... I did this actually for every company um, phase, right? Starting from really pre-seed to seed, series A, then I think another series A. And at some point, the company was maybe at, at a peak where I left then after five years, 150 people. 
Um, but I had enough time because we never went through hyperscale to always um, prepare the next company growth stage, but also really dive into in-depth projects from plan to execution to iteration. And this really shaped my experience, very relevant and on a, I would say, high qualitative level. Because what, what, what I saw that a lot of also people in the startup space, they maybe work at very nice logos um, in hyper growth, fast paced environments, but they're just doing re uh, stuff really at the surface and don't have a, 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 a skill set where I would say it's expertise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but then later on, um, after leaving the company, I already started um, building stuff on the side. I um, also did a bachelor's degree in finance, but it was on, in the evening, a program and not so really um, challenging. So it was more a, a side project, I would say. And um, out of my interest, I chose finance because I, I, I was always interested in it. Yeah. So your studies and, were a side project? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, so I never really had interest in, in theory. I always was more the pragmatic guy. Mm -hmm. So basically, after uni, you went to Sweden. For how long was the Sweden thing? Roughly half a year or so, I would say. Nice. Why did you move back, by the way? Why didn't you stay there? So initially, I think I should not say that on camera. But I was at the military service and <laughs> a lot of mm. people there told me <laughs> that, wow, you need to go to Sweden one day. They're so beautiful um, women. <laughs> that was actually the trigger why I chose um, Sweden. <laughs> but at some point I, I did not give to so much important, importance, but I think that was the initial trigger that um, made me move to Sweden. <laughs> um, plus, of course, overall the decision already that I say I want to live in a city, but I never wanted, I, I never really decided for one. So I chose a pretty stupid um, reason. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, I, at some point, I really felt a bit isolated because when you don't study and when you're 19 years old and so on, right? After half a year, um, you don't work somewhere, you do everything by yourself and alone, you get bored. And I think in Sweden, it's not so easy to get into groups. For me, it was not so easy, maybe also because of age. Mm -hmm. um, and then I thought, hey, why not Vienna? Because I know some people there already. Mm -hmm. um, And then this was basically it, I would say. And and where exactly is the place you grew up? Tirol, Austria, Zillertal. Ah, in Tirol. Ah, okay, in Zillertal. Okay, got it. Okay, cool. Now I now I made sense of the story. Okay, so then you basically, this is why I'm double checking so intensely because it's really uncommon, right, in Europe at least, that you don't, that you put a degree on a second option and you put work on, on, on first. Um Yeah, so and how, also, to be honest, I think yeah. my parents also wanted that I study and the, everybody there, I, I think, would more leave because either you are already after something, but it's a very small proportion, um, or you go somewhere for university, right? And I went there without studying and um, I could also have done everything what I did there from home, but I just wanted to see something else. And I also had to finance everything by myself, right? Mm. Hey, and how did this in the, in, the, in, the, in the company work? Like when you were probably one of the few ones who didn't have a degree? To be honest, I think that's basically a um, shout out to Christoph. He was also one of the founders there. Um, and he believed in me and saw the potential. And he was actually the only one that first time also founded stuff and saw that he needs people that want to work and want to um, just get things done, uh, done and are smart. Yeah. And I think what I always um, 
was good in was pattern recognition and just understanding also the meta view plus also jumping into delivery perspective and role and just um, don't overthink and do it right so i think it's it's a, a good mix of um, um, intelligence and um, analysis plus also um, delivery and not 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 being too hands off <laughs> mm. yeah super uh, su super interesting and then you at some point you, you you build your side business you probably do recruiting on the side and then you are like okay cool now i can now i can do it on my own Yeah, I think it was not so really recruiting on the side because that was a bit of a conflict because I was still head of talent there, um, had a team of five people. And um, when I would do recruiting on the side, I don't know, it was just in Austria, that's not so common. They're a bit more conservative than maybe in Berlin. Um, so I, I did actually <laughs> help a friend with his YouTuber agency scale revenue. Um, mm -hmm. And then we built some marketing automation stuff, some go-to-market engines um, for all the inbound um, potential that was there because YouTubers usually have a lot of traffic or um, impressions and whatever, but they did not really convert it well. And we put in the conversion engines and I always thought in that way and um, came with an outside view and very structured because um, I also have it always here, right? <laughs> we worked a lot with McKinsey principles, mm. stuff and so on. And this is also what I... I, I learned a lot um, there in the startup time because we really um, acted like consultant, consultants even um, when nobody really worked in the consulting field. But we wanted to understand this. Um, we tried to hire some of them as employees, but also as um, consultants <laughs> mm -hmm. and just paid them and learned everything and tried to discover everything, tried stuff out and then implemented it. So you can also train yourself um, by yourself, right? If you want to. Um, And this approach, this way of thinking, and also just the curiosity, and the, I think the entrepreneurial um, piece, and also I'm money-driven, so that's also an um, effect, that, that helped me just starting something on the side, and I was used to work six days a week. I did this for five years, so why not then doing one or two days um, for another project, because things were running at some point for, I think, nine months. I had three to five meetings a week. So I worked maybe five hours and the rest was discovery time. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, crazy. And then you decided to move to, to Berlin also. Um, I, I Back then, I think I, I had a very... Um, I, I was fortunate that I had a, a, a good budget um, at the age maybe of 23, of, and you calculated maybe around a million. And um, a a quite proportion for this was, we, we called it business development, even if we did not do sales, but it was more like me flying to executives um, pre-COVID um, across Europe. Um, and I, I organized in a day like Berlin, London, Amsterdam, um, Barcelona, um, one or two days for me where I met five to 10 people that are top level executives or have something, some, some kind of spike that might get relevant for the next company phase in the future. <laughs> and mm -hmm. if I spotted potential where I would say, oh, that would be an asset, let's talk. Then mm -hmm. I organized another trip two weeks later with the, C uh, with the founder um, and we flew there and did another uh, meeting. And sometimes we hired really top <laughs> executives from that or we just um, um, hired consultants or had a, a, a good understanding on making fundamental decisions. Um, So this is actually where I, where my recruitment 
business started without being a business because I had a good network and a good reputation there. And this is also where I had a bit of access to a lot of Berlin companies. Um, and when I left then the company, um, because I, I already earned more on the side project than as a salary, I just um, said, but although they also they said they wanted to change something, they changed the leadership because it did not grow further, um, did not get funding and so on. So it was just actually a mutual um, agreement, I would say. And then I was all in <laughs> um, and and stopped the consulting piece because recruiting picked up so quickly. Um, my first big client was Tier, um, where I started as a recruiter. And I was really um, a bit scared when starting, I would say, because it was this big logo, Series C or D even, raised 660 million, and I needed to hire 55 people. And maybe we hired back then 14 a year, and I needed to do this in, in six months all by myself. Hmm. Um, but then it, it turned out that all the principles I had, the, um, the structured and strategic approach with the whole urgency, chaos or hyper growth, you can also call it. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I was always top of mind. I always structured things um, in an anticipative way so that I got always more scope, more scope until um, the founder called me, hey, uh, Thomas, um, you should do the director role because um, I think you should just run it. And then I, I, mm -hmm. I got a lot of scope, a lot of um, exposure within a client, then hired um, some recruiters from my network, but also I'm quite fast in um, judging if a recruiter is good or not and can convince them and can um, onboard them. So I built it people-wise then on the side while doing actually freelancing under the people-wise logo. And then this got bigger, yeah. And then we made, I think, 1 million revenue in the first year. And now in the second again, because half year one was a bit bad. And um, I, I don't do the deals by myself anymore. I have a team of um, nine full-time recruiters and also um, additional team members that are supporting with podcast, marketing, um, administrative stuff, and so on. So, super, yeah. Super impressive. Super impressive. And big congrats. Um, hey, and how would you summarize again your approach? Like if there's couple of, I, I call it tangible takeaways in this season one of the, of, of this episode of this podcast. Um, like what are the tangible takeaways if someone was like, Hey, that Thomas Kohler approach is amazing. Is it like, what's the mix? What's I the think, mix of mix? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think first, um, what, what I have as a spike is a lot of energy. Yeah. So, um, I, I am never calm and I can never do just one thing. So um, when there is a personality that has a lot of drive, a lot of energy and a lot of bias for, for action, I would say additionally mental models to be able to zoom out and plug this bias for action drive on and off. This is a key because sometimes I found myself being overworked also having 10, 15 kilos more. Now I'm always fit, um, do sports every day, have a very clean nutrition, a very good sleep um, cycle. And this was because of the mental models I trained myself so that I could actually control myself. And sometimes when there was a lot of ambiguity where people maybe get overwhelmed because, oh, what should I do? This is actually my sweet spot where I can, where I can just be my full self and get very effective. And also with the mental models, I can switch this on and off 
and know exactly mm -hmm. when I should be my full personality type and just let it go. And when I also need to a bit more controlled use frameworks where maybe other people don't have any problems with, which there are, which is their nature maybe, but where I need to really focus more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the combination of having an inner drive and um, training yourself on mental models, that was a key for me. So the, the biggest jumper in my career, I would say. This and is really a 10x factor. Like what I find super interesting is this. I mean, this is still very abstract, right? Like what I find interesting is the overwhelm situation. Like how do you, you said when some people are overwhelmed, you react in what way? Um, I'm then in attack mode, I would say. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because um, when there are a lot of things happening, I just try to fast structure them, be very pragmatic about it first, like following the McKinsey principle, having a hypothesis, right? Then structuring it in a mutually exclusive, collectively exhaustive way, and then rating it by the Pareto principle, if you want to have a three-step three process, and then getting into, getting into delivery. Yeah. So this is actually what I uh, do very often, and I can do uh, I can turn around situations within 24 hours. For instance, I just bought out my co-founder from PeopleWise because um, She wanted to, to go into a different direction and maybe the service business was not 100% it. And then um, we had an open conversation about it. And I thought about why not? Because um, I can I think I can do it by myself. And then I just needed to understand what was she doing because I was totally hands off. I did not touch anything within the team, within the delivery, within the processes um, because I did mainly the sales, go-to-market stuff. And I think within one week, I understood everything. Um, and within the second week, I restructured everything. And within, I would say, a month, we we were so stable and so efficient that I tripled revenue. <laughs> um, plus, also the efficiency was uh, quite high then, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And this is... So, wait, but now you're speaking about people-wise, right? Yeah. And... But when, in which, in which interval again did you triple the revenue? Because I thought you, you just had the leaving conversation last week. No, it was, I think, two months ago or so. Ah, okay. In okay, August, hey. now we are in October, two months ago. And then, yeah, so two months ago and then one month it, it happened. But to be honest, I um, it was also a bit with timing of um, timing of the market because now budget planning season is on again. So recruiting is also picking up again because I think the uncertainties are not so crazily impacting decisions in companies anymore. So that's one factor. A second factor is that I did a lot of... Um, pipeline building activities during the year and now they're um, they're getting triggered and another thing is really the restructuring piece um, which is more on the efficiency of bottom line um, approach I would say because top line um, was affected by my previous activities yeah super impressive Thomas uh, without going into too much detail then maybe as a finish to the to the people wise story um, at text text fix you're basically doing the same as for Tia, right Yeah, quite similar. I mean, hiring people, hiring people, <laughs> retaining people, maybe even letting, letting, not letting. Yeah, it, it, it was a bit more the in-between role where you ran the talent acquisition department and structured the whole headcount planning um, because it was never in place. And talent acquisition is usually impacted by not having a headcount plan in place. And as I'm working quite anticipative, I needed to build usually things that were not in place that talent acquisition could succeed. So I was building the environments, the structures, the infrastructures, the, um, the team, the teams, the targets, making sure that they deliver. And that's basically it. 
Mm -hmm. Okay, got it. So more of a managerial than a operational position. Mm -hmm. yeah? mm -hmm. Hey, uh, then of course, like, one, if you know you, it's very obvious. If you don't know you, if you just look on the, on the LinkedIn, it might be even a bit like confusing that you actually are also a co-founder at Remove. So what is Remove? Yeah. What are you doing there? And uh, what's your plan here? Yeah. yeah, Remove is a fun story. Um, it's actually a software that is a legal tech software that is um, protecting um, creators and businesses from uh, piracy. Yeah. How do we do that? We have a software that is based on certain images, videos, text, um, scraping the internet, scanning the internet, and then finding content and labeling it by white label or whitelisted content, um, blacklisted content. The whitelisted content is actually the one that's okay and should be out there. Marketing material, for instance, right? And blacklisted content is the one that is maybe not rightfully out there, a, 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 private, a pi piracy um, piece. And then we uh, remove the content from the blacklisted content from Google. Um, I think we are already in the partner program there and then we can just delist content. So 80 to 90% done because most of the searches um, are happening through Google. And then we also need to remove the source from um, websites or also any kind of social media I'm like Reddit, Facebook, Instagram. Um, yeah. And everything is reported in a dashboard. Um, customers can log in and see the process um, of findings or so of links we found and also of links we removed on a monthly subscription. And I think that's a, that was a really scrappy business because um, my co-founder Roland also, I would say my best friend, he, and I back then already moved to Vienna. Um, we are all both from Tirol and we know each other since I think close to 20 years now. Um, and I helped him in his marketing agency back then. He has a YouTuber agency. And um, when I left there, he continued and built um, products for YouTubers because some of them were quite good in content, but not in monetization. Um, but the problem is, when you have a monetization product that is an info product, like an online marketing course from a YouTuber that talks about online marketing, for instance, yeah, there is piracy and then you lose revenue. And then some people that um, had courses um, were, were um, victims of privacy, where you Google the online marketing course and with the influencer name, you found the course for free or for maybe $50 instead of 500 from a different source. And he did not really um, had a solution for it. The, it. the market was quite fractional. There were sites that you could not really trust, that, uh, trust or they that were old school. And then he, he once when we played tennis, <laughs> he told me, Thomas, I have a startup idea. What do you think about this? There is content out there um, leaked and there's nothing to remove it. And I said, yeah, build it. And he, it was just in his Trello. And um, he also t tells me if I would not have pushed him, it would be still be a Trello idea. So I said, you know what I do now? I do some Instagram reach outs to other creators and try to sell it. Um, and then we see what's happening. And then I sold it. <laughs> and then um, we had um, a price of 200 euros or dollars a month. And it was quite random. We just said, yeah, that's the price. 
And then we had this budget and needed to buy the service from different providers and test them. And then we just scaled this simple approach to, I think, 10, 15 customers. So it's already two, 3K monthly recurring revenue, right? Um, and we, we bought it in, in the beginning for the same price. Um, but then we also saw that a lot of, that there are maybe two, three, four services, but all services do something bad. Yeah, so we needed to do service buying and procurement in that sense. That was the product. So we just resold it mm -hmm. and put ourselves in the middle. Um, had some good testimonials and also some volume. So we decreased the, the, the price by 50% yeah. and increased the price by 50%. So we had a lot of margin. <laughs> and with all this free cash flow, we just, um, or uh, operating cash flow that was just generated, um, we doubled down on buying leads, on trying new channels. Until now, I think in the first six months, we reached... Um, a bit more than 20k MRR, and it's um, I think quite profitable. Yes, yeah? 11k um, of, of operating cash flow. But of course, we don't do anything with the money. Beside, um, now started building a product <laughs> that we also have our own product, and also of course use um, one or two partners still um, because I think we still have a lot of time to discover and do product development in a very um, prioritized way. And because we are working there with um, two senior engineers that are really quick, um, it's a team of six people. And um, the only thing what I do there is a bit of go-to-market experimentation. And um, Roland, the governor, is running actually the company. Yeah. Exciting. What's go-to-market experimentation? Like how you find leads or how you scale the, how you do distribution? Um, yes. So first of all, I would say um, testing new customer segments. Yeah, so I always try a new customer segment. It can be by region, by industry, by company size, by um, pro um, problem. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. sometimes it's a physical product like e-commerce. Sometimes it's a um, digital product like a course um, or music, IP, intellectual property, property right? Else? Yeah, there's something else. Also, we are in the adult industry with a segment. So we have on, <laughs> OnlyFans models um, because they sell sell nudes, right? And nobody wants to have nude content out there. And the market exists. It's big in the US. We have a lot of US customers. And they just protect themselves through our service. And that's also a good revenue stream, right? And um, we really help them. Um, and this is also how we got a bit into websites that host this content um, beside OnlyFans where they where we are the exclusive partner that mm -hmm. if content gets stolen from that site we find it and remove it mm. right so this can get really big because we are also on the infrastructure side and also on the creator side and on different niches we also have um, e-commerce shops um, where Alibaba products got um, copied from the main European shop and just gets resold, right? And then that, that's also a problem by just using the, the product images and selling something completely different. Um, mm -hmm. But we are quite self-service there. So um, the focus is there on the customer experience side on the self-service approach and making sure that we understand the behavior of the user on how they just want to monitor it and also make a good product that can really remove 99% of the content. 100% um, I think is never possible because there are some sites that not cooperate And then you need to go through lawyers, but that's then outside of our um, core service. We would just hand it over. Um, and that's actually the product, yeah. And I, I test a lot of these different verticals, different messages. It's actually basically outbound. Now we go with ads as well and so on and try to, to build lead, and lead channels, lead funnels and convert them. Um, currently, the CAC 
payback time is below one month with all channels. Um, so wow. it's quite quite effective. Mm -hmm. And your longer term vision? I don't know if you wanna wanna talk about this for remove the tech. Um, I think there 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 is an interesting field with generative AI where we are quite open and say now we know exactly in a delivery perspective that we just need to do more of what we already do and improve stuff on an iteration mm -hmm. basis. And that's mm -hmm. actually the plan for the next one or two years, I would say. And until then, I think the whole generative AI field will do something with um, piracy or with um, copyright infringements at scale for brands, for creators, for us as a private person, right? Um, and then I think the market will be shaken up And then we want to be the front runner in this field. And then we will see how the vision will look then. But for now, it's more an execution plan, to be honest. And how do you like, last question regarding the businesses, like um, many people actually swear on one thing, like doing one thing and only focusing on, on this. Do you think this applies or just in a very early stage of starting up? Or do you think it's like you can also do run two, two business at the side or one is like basically, yeah. How do you think it that? definitely applies. It also applies for me. Um, and I need to be very careful with my time. The good thing is I know exactly what I'm good at and also others know. And I also know what I enjoy. And I just do the stuff in the businesses actually that I really like and what where I get energy from, right? And it's also clear for people-wise with my team. Um, I have a very strong team of senior um, um, employees that take a lot of me Um And they like it because they're ambitious and they can take on more, right? And um, on on the remove side, it's Roland, for instance, he really wants to do the product development. I'm not interested in doing anything there. I don't even know what they're doing. Um, I just know um, what we need to sell. And then we talk about it if that's possible and if they have it or not. And that's that's actually it. And the rest is just testing. And on PeopleWise, I also test a lot of um, sales stuff, new um pricings or services, how I design it and so on. And of course, there's also other things to do, but I would say that that's no, never the main attention span in here and also the main time I spend. Yeah, the main the main time you spend and the main attention span these days goes to tennis. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, no, no, I would love to. <laughs> If I could choose career, I would like to be a tennis pro. Yeah. No, no, this is actually a, a nice thing. We also played tennis just on Sunday, so um, it was great. I love it. Let's do it again soon. Um, yeah, 100%. I, I think sport was a real um, big thing in my life when I was young. And at some point, I just deprioritized it. Also got a bit chubby and did not really enjoy um, myself without knowing until I realized. And then at some point, I needed to change something because I always was a bit focused on one area and then doubling down on that um, and being, I think, too much involved in, in stuff um, where I thought about um, there needs to be a way where you have a balanced life, but also nail every aspect of life. And it was just a mental trigger that I wanted, that I needed to commit to it and then make a plan or not a plan, but some decisions like I, I don't drink alcohol anymore since I think... Rough, roughly one and a half years since I decided that. Um, go to the gym or play tennis or do any other sports um, every day. And if I have a rest day, I go sleep early or I do active rest like mobility, um, workouts with 
the stuff, right? So mm -hmm. for the for the muscles mm -hmm. to easen it up or go to um, physiotherapy. Um, and also just then deprioritizing stuff that is that does not fit this lifestyle and prioritizing mm -hmm. stuff that fits that lifestyle. Um, and that was also, I think, a game changer for having enough mental space and always being quite sharp. And how do you like uh, put differently as uh, Alexei, for instance, put it in the other, in the other call, which we recorded um, a couple of days ago, it's like your operating system. Like how would you describe your OS? So what are you, 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 you just mentioned the balance in many different parts of life. How are you regulating yourself? How are you optimizing? How are you measuring? You know, hmm. to be honest, I have a, a, a very few things in my life that take energy from me. And if they do so, it's maybe temporary or I find a way that I don't, that, that they don't um, in, interact with me or that, that, that it's not a thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I think just being very clear about it upfront and then committing to it and changing habits or building habits that are healthy. Um, yeah. So I also hired a personal coach for fitness. Um, trained two times a week with him. Um, Tuesday, Thursday, 8 a.m. Then I have a coach for tennis where I also play maybe once or twice a, um, a week with the person, um, either Wednesday, Friday evening or Saturday, Sunday. Um, then a lot of friends I just go sports with or um, work with them somehow on projects um, mm -hmm. or talk about this stuff because I enjoy it. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And then also you have then also a so social circle um, that is also quite on the same path. Wavelength. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think that's also a bit then being isolated and in a bubble, but I like it. Yeah, yeah. It really sounds like it. Like that's, that's super cool when listening to you, but you actually hear it with a lot of uh, company builders, right? Also bootstrappers and stuff. Maybe even VC people. I think the differentiation here is not that strong. Um, that you somehow you you isolate more variables and instead of like doing everything in a collective like in school right in school you would do everything with 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 everyone um hey these are already amazing insights i think we could of course double click triple click on many topics or speak much much longer but i think this is super cool as a as an initial glance into you as a person into your life thomas um is there anything else you 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 want to shout out or like or you want to ask or like anything yes um i think your tennis is really good um next Thank time you much. maybe win <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly like we don't have to don't have to mention the other the, the, the practice rounds afterwards but yes. yeah that's true that's true you were killing it no but yeah, it's I mean, like I, i like i like the challenge i like the competition and i like the next match either if yeah winning or losing um it will be fun yeah but very of course much winning is much more fun <laughs> yeah Yeah, <laughs> didn't get into this taste last time, but we'll, we'll see. Thomas, been a pleasure. Thank you very much, man. Great to host you. Thanks for listening to Nonlinear. If you like the content, subscribe to this podcast on Spotify. Follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter. That's at IamKrishi3. Three is the number and Krishi with S-C-H-I. Reach out on any of the platforms if you have comments, questions, or just want to chat. 